Oh, Flower of Scotland, today we did not see your like again. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our coverage of Match Day 12 here at Bavarian Podcast Works. I am a dejected, (laughs) slightly dejected Jake Fenner. Excuse me for one second. As I take a sip of the national liquid of the vanquished today because while England and the Czech Republic were pretty set, all set in terms of points to advance to the group stages or to the knockout stages, it was going to be a toss-up and a battle between Scotland and Croatia at Hampden Park to see if either team could advance and move on to the next round to see if either team would be able to do it. Uh, They needed a win. Either side needed a win. A draw, a loss for either side would not cut it. Croatia, after a dismal first two games, looking to come back on their feet and make it again to the knockout stages. Scotland, looking to make the knockout stages for the first time in their history as a country at a major tournament. And so, what happened? Uh, 17th minute, Januzovic sends in a long cross into the box, Ivan Perisic heads it down easily to Velasic, who strikes it after hesitating a little bit, taking his time, getting a touch on it to put Croatia up 1-0. 42nd minute, Andrew Robertson's cross into the box to Che Adams was not sent home. Vita, the uh, the defender for Croatia, Domagoj Vita, tries to clear it back, but he can only go so far as Callum McGregor. The one person that I mentioned was my player to watch at the beginning. I've done very good (laughs) in this tournament. Uh, Callum McGregor fires it with his weak foot, his right foot, into the back of the net to score the only goal that Scotland had this entire tournament. To tie it 1-1, to go into the half, giving Scotland a little bit of hope. In the 62nd minute, after a number of passes in front of David Marshall, the Scotland goalkeeper, Mateo Kovacic lays it off for Luka Modric, who takes a one-time shot into the top corner of the net to make it 2-1. to one. And then in the 77th minute, Luka Modric takes another corner. It's flicked backwards off the head of Ivan Perisic, bounced in off the right post to make it 3-1 to one for Croatia. Now... I'm only part Scottish, but I'm still very sad, obviously. I would I, I imagine you at home could guess that I am I am sad. My family and my heritage my ancestors are very, very sad this this evening, along with me and many other Scot Scotsman or Scotswoman who enjoys the sport of football because today just it didn't really seem like Scotland had it and 
if anybody has watched Scotland this entire tournament, like I have, they would point the problem to the front. And I really feel like that is due, right? The credit is due. Because we saw three different Scotlands in each of the games that they played. The first game against the Czech Republic, they were pretty dominant in midfield. In the second game against England, they were 50-50, but their defense was rigid. In this one, their midfield was not that great. Their defense was, at most times, pretty good. And the one thing that you could tack on to every game that Scotland had was that their finishing up front was inconsistent. And I was talking to somebody over Twitter about this game, and this is really what it boils down to. This is this is truly what it boils down to. The two strikers that Scotland have are not necessarily used to being the guy or used to being like the big guy. So if you haven't been watching Scotland, allow me to tell you the two people that got put up front. The first we will talk about is Che Adams. He missed a number of opportunities throughout this tournament. The worst one came under 10 minutes of this game uh, when a perfectly weighted ball from Andrew Robertson was sent in. I actually, I believe it was either Andrew Robertson or John McGinn. A beautiful lofted ball sent into the box, and instead of diving forward to get ahead on it, which really should be what he should have done, or try to take a, a shot with his stronger right foot, he instead stuck his left foot up and missed it by a good six to eight inches. And that may as well have defined his entire tournament. He had very few shots on target, if any on target, this entire game. And it's it's unfortunate. But you also have to keep in mind that he plays for Southampton. And he's usually put up top with a, a, a two, right? So like a two-striker formation that Ralph Hasenhutl runs over at Southampton. And the striker that he runs with is Danny Ings who is a prolific striker, who has done very well, who's been one of the more underrated strikers in the Premier League over the last couple of seasons. So you would, in order for Che to succeed, usually what we have seen is that Che performs better when he is not the guy, but he is a guy who is able to poach goals in front, and we have somebody who is able to go up and get towering headers. Unfortunately for Che Adams, his running partner for this entire time has been the Australian-born Lyndon Dykes, who is a striker for QPR, who had a decent season, not a fantastic season, but a decent season for QPR, the blonde-haired man. Uh, neither of them did well in any of their in any of their games. They were consistent up front in that they were inconsistent up front and it didn't help them at all it didn't help him at all it didn't help the team at all and it's it's rather unfortunate right for dykes in 42 games this season for qpr he scored 12 goals and five assists for Che Adams, he scored nine goals in, I believe, 49 total games for Southampton this year. 
So while both of them have been known to score goals, none of them are strong enough to necessarily be the guy. And so it made a lot of sense in my mind that the main goal, the one goal that Scotland scored was from their midfield because their midfield was fantastic. And it also should be said that this team was slightly depleted. Billy Gilmore, the youngster for Chelsea, who had a fantastic game at Wembley against England, was unable to play. He did not, uh, he was not able to play due to COVID. And hopefully he gets a lot better. I hope that he gets better soon. I hope that uh, he'll be able to recover because it's really unfortunate. And if we consider the other recent call-ups who ha- uh, who were not chosen for, for this team, right, whether it's Lee Griffiths of Celtic, Lawrence Shankland of Dundee United, or the other, the only two forwards in recent call-ups who have Premier League experience, both Ollie McBurney and Oliver Burke, who are 24. 20- Five and 24 respectively, both of them playing for Sheffield United, it really makes you wonder why they weren't chosen. And Lee Griffiths, right, had four international goals and 22 caps for Scotland. That's a kind of person you would want on your team. And I, I hope that that Scotland going forward doesn't look at this as like, a one-off opportunity. I think the midfield depth of this squad is good enough to be able to compete with um, with many others on the world stage. I think the Euros were a great stepping-off point for them. I think when you consider how great the Scotland defense had been in most of these games, that, yeah, like they should be going out there and competing. Andrew Robertson was fantastic in all three games that he played. Uh, John McGinn was great in the midfield along with Stuart Armstrong. Kieran Tierney didn't play his first game, but the last two games he came up and made some fantastic tackles. Scott McTominay, who's normally a fantastic central defensive midfielder, spent a majority of this tournament playing as a center back. That's how good the depth of this Scotland midfield is, is that they have somebody who is normally a midfielder playing center back, and they did well. He did pretty well. Scott McTominay did a decent job, right? Robertson and his fellow wing back on the opposite wing, Stephen O'Donnell, did a great job. They did fantastic, I think. And it's just unfortunate that the goals didn't come for Scotland, right? Because if you think back to um, to the Czech Republic game, right, Scotland had a decent amount of ball possession in that one, and they were caught out by a great header and a billion-to-one shot from Patrick Schick. And then that England game was phenomenal with both teams just missing opportunities. So I f- feel like Scotland have the opportunity to really go forward with this squad. And my hope is that they take a decent look and find out what 
the real problems were with the team and then they fixed them, right? I wasn't terribly impressed with Lyndon Dykes in any of the games that he played. I thought Che Adams had a decent amount of chances. So in my mind, if you pair Che Adams with somebody who is a tall, you know, like rough and tumble number nine, right? Che can be the poacher up front because you saw what Che looked like as a target man and it didn't really work. So my hope is that Scotland are able to recover and are able to supply the requisite people up front. Now, we will talk about this Czech Republic versus England game, the only goal being scored by Raheem Sterling. Jack Grealish finally gets a start for this England team. It It's shocking that it took him this long, but even still, he got taken off in the 67th minute for Jude Bellingham, who had a decent game in the final couple minutes. And then finally, after relentless internet bullying, ladies and gentlemen, we finally got to see Jaden Sancho on the field for like six minutes. <laughs> I, I really struggle to understand how Gareth Southgate has left Jaden Sancho on the bench for so long and are, and is now only using him in in <laughs> as a sub right like Bukayo Saka had a good game I I will admit though I don't think he should have started but he had a good game <laughs> uh Sterling has been the only goal scorer for England so far so you're not going to see me saying that you know he shouldn't be starting but I don't know. Just find a way to get Jaden Sancho on the field. He's one of the most creative players in your squad. And the fact that he's only played six minutes at the Euros is shameful. Do better, Gareth. And now they get to advance to the round of 16 where they will play the second place team out of Group F, which we get to talk about now. But before we get to that, We'll go to Group E. Slovakia versus Spain at the Estadio de la Cartua in Sevilla. And Sweden versus Poland at the Krastovsky Stadium in St. Petersburg. Both of those games kicking off at noon Eastern time. Taking a look at the table for this, uh, for this team, for this group at this tournament we will see that spain are currently sat in third with two points poland have one point slovakia have three and sweden are topping the group with four so what does that mean for everybody if poland is able to win and slovakia is able to beat spain that means that poland will qualify for second sweden will drop down to third and spain will finish last again that's if slovakia beats spain if spain draws slovakia and sweden loses then it'll be it'll be a tough one there there are tougher outcomes for Spain, I guess, because, right, with Poland, it's pretty straightforward, right? With Poland, it's you have to win the game, and then you're in, 
right? With Slovakia, it's if you draw or win, then you're in, and Sweden, it's the same way. For Spain, they need to win against Slovakia, and in order to top the group, they need to hope that Sweden somehow uh, failed to win over Poland. And whether or not that is possible is is it's up for the football gods to decide and we'll all just have to watch it tomorrow now we get to group f kicking off at 3 p.m eastern let's start off with the less confrontational one portugal versus france at the push gas arena in hungary uh Portugal got shelled. They basically scored four goals, except two of them went in the wrong net. France were shocked and surprised that they were held to a draw against Hungary. So that is going to be something that's probably on the back of their minds right now. Uh, Portugal basically need a win. If they lose, they're in third. They're probably one of the better third place teams if they don't like get, you know, like utterly demolished by this France team. But right now they're sitting below Germany in second place. So Let's tackle Germany and Hungary. And really the sighing in my voice is something completely unrelated to the actual play on the field. If you've been following the blog long enough, and you've been following me long enough, and if you don't follow me, you know, of course, follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. You may know why I am sighing. I had a bad start to this week when I heard that UEFA was going to be investigating uh, Manuel Neuer's wearing of the rainbow armband to celebrate Pride Month or Christopher Street Day, as they call it in in Germany. And UEFA's subsequent response to his wearing of that and, you know, the reaction elsewhere has been disheartening. And really sad to watch. Um, and then for them to take it back, I guess, is good. But the whole idea that lighting up the Allianz Arena in rainbow colors is a political statement is... ridiculous and hypocritical because 
<laughs> in 2019, you were talking so much about how you wanted this to be a tournament for everyone. That everyone was going to get involved and it was going to be the proudest tournament ever. And then when somebody responded saying like, oh, why do you have to act like this? Your, pers your own Twitter account, UEFA, responded with, well, you know, some people really don't feel like this is going to be a tournament for them. And that sometimes we need they need to be reminded that you know, football is for everybody. Well, UEFA, as one of those people, I don't think I have ever hated you more as an organization than now. I, I don't think ever before than now. With the mixed messages and the wishy-washy kowtowing to a leader of a foreign country. Because... While you may look at this as a way to protest the uh, the the law that was recently passed in Hungary saying that they cannot show anything related to the LGBT community on TV because it's propaganda and it's now outlawed in order to uh, in order to do that. And I definitely feel like there's an element of that, right? Like international political headbutting over all of this, right? I really look at this from a different perspective, right? It's Pride Month. It's International Pride Month. And you're telling a city and an arena that is about to, you know, host your next incarnation of the tournament in 2024 that it cannot take a stand for human rights because it is antagonistic and too political of a statement because the president of Hungary is going to be at the game tomorrow and that it would be a politically uh, provocative statement I guess to find a different word That's pitiful. <laughs> That's a pitiful logic behind it and a pitiful response. So I don't think I have ever wanted to be at a game more than tomorrow because I just recently got this beautiful VFB Stuttgart jersey that they sold in January because let's all let's also toss that caveat in there right this year the group of people chosen uh, to be highlighted in Germany's National Holocaust Remembrance Day was the LGBT community the so among the first people executed by the Nazi regime so in this year, where that is the highlight, in Pride Month, you're telling a city that is traditionally conservative, but with people slowly becoming more and more accepting, 
that they cannot take a stand and light their stadium up in rainbow colors because it's not a human rights stance, but it's a politically antagonistic statement. I don't know what you want, UEFA. Like, like I'm, I'm, I feel pained by this. What do you want? Do you want football to be a game for everybody, or do you want it to be a game for everybody to watch and enjoy while not stepping on everybody's feelings? Because either way, you're going to be stepping on feelings. By saying that you're not going to be stepping on people's feelings, you've stepped on my feelings and my people's feelings and the people of the world that love football and the people of the world that are LGBT and the crossover between both of those. This is one of the largest football events in the world. And right now you are saying to the world that the issue of rights for LGBT people is not a human rights issue, it's a political issue. Bullshit. Screw you. Bayern, please, please light the stadium in rainbow colors. I will cry. It will make me feel more proud than ever to be not only a fan of the German national team and not only a Bayern fan, but as an LGBT person, I will feel the happiest I have felt about who I am for a while. Because while I know, I know that UEFA won't give a shit about me and the people like me in Hungary or elsewhere across the world... If Bayern defies the order, I will be prouder of my club than when we won the Champions League. Because to me, taking a stand for your fans, for what's right, for a global cause, will be will mean more to me than you could possibly fathom. It will show me that the world still has some good left in them. And that getting into trouble, into good trouble, as a former U.S. congressperson called it, even though this is not exactly the same parallel as when that congressman initially used that phrase, but good trouble, defying an order because it is not right from a human rights standpoint. It will show me what Bayern Munich is all about. It will show me what the German national team is all about. And to me, that will be my favorite image of the Euros. Germany could win the whole tournament. My favorite image would be a wide shot of the Allianz Arena at this game decked out in rainbow colors. That would be the greatest pride gift anyone could ever get me. So Bayern, the DF Bay, the Allianz Arena, please do it. Please do it. Please take a stand. Please do 
what is right. I am not the only one that wants this. If you do it, you will be one of many German stadiums across the world being lit up in rainbow colors because that's that's what's going to happen across the country. The Rhein-Energie-Stadion in Köln is being lit up. The Olympiastadion in Berlin is going to be lit up in rainbow colors. Please do it. I know you will get in trouble. But please do it. You will make every single one of your fans who is in the right happy. And you will take a stand for human rights around the world. We'll see you tomorrow.